0: Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host,
1: Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, I've got a recent friend who I was introduced to... um, through a great person in my network, a mutual friend of ours, um, Kyle. So I've got Brian Bogert with me today. And him and I had uh, a call when we just uh, decided to connect because of, of Kyle Depias. And literally, I left that call just so energized, so on fire. And Brian and I haven't even talked since then. Um, but I, I think about him often. I think about our, our conversation and I'm just excited to bring his energy and passion for the world to you guys today. So Brian, thanks for being on the show.
0: Man, I'm always grateful for these opportunities. Kyle's the man. I actually got to see him when he was in, in town last week. I'm sure you did as well. Uh, so it was, it, uh, he's, he's just good people, man. And, and anytime I get to align with great individuals like you who are trying to make a change in the world, it's, uh, it's always fun to come together and see what our collective impact can be. So,
1: yeah. Well, and, I, and again, I'm just so excited to get into your story and, and you know how you've come to where you're at today and, and just the passion you bring to the world. So let's jump into the questions. Who's had the greatest impact on your life?
0: my wife, for a variety of reasons. We can unpack that now or later. You tell me what you want to do. Let's go, let's jump into that a little bit. All right, Uh, I'm gonna hit the tops of the waves because I know there's a specific thing you'll probably come back to later around a push that my wife gave me. But um, the person, she's the single person who's had the greatest amount of impact on my life because she has been relentless in challenging me to be the best version of me in every category of my life. Uh, it literally started with our first date. I knew I was going to marry her. And I know this might sound crazy, and I don't mean this to come across as weird or funny in any way, but she was the first woman I was ever with that pushed back. Hmm. And it got me super interested. And I don't mean that to say that um, that others didn't challenge or didn't have a stance on things. But what I mean by it, I have a very strong personality. And often in relationships before my wife, I would – unintentionally steamroll people in a way that I didn't even like who I was in the relationship. So I would end up ending the relationship. Cause to me, it's not about a power dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's about a partnership. And I needed somebody that could really stand side by side with me, intellectually, emotionally, and from a strength standpoint. So when she pushed back, it literally got me like, Ooh, okay, here we go. Like a little bit exciting. Cause it was unique to me. And, and since that time, almost 15 years ago now, um, she literally, it's, uh, the standards that we hold each other to are very high and we're, and we're wrapping that with love. And so, you know, the paths that I've been on, some of the uh, exploration emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, you know, she's been right there uh, alongside me. And I say this often, the external representation of who I am to the world that I get credit for on stages at this point in my life, right? The concepts, the analogies around human behavior, emotional triggers, the way we can unpack that only 50% of that's me, brother. Mm -hmm. The other 50% is my wife, right? Together we are complete and we are, we are very, very strong, but I often say that who I am today is a byproduct of the partner that I have in my life. So I'm forever indebted to her the gift she gave me and my children and for so many other things. So uh, again, we'll unpack more of that later, I'm sure.
1: You know, as you're saying that, like it's, it's opening so much up for me. Um, and that, that last phrase that you just said, like who you are, um, you know, has so much to do with her. And I'm just thinking you're a high performer, you're a high charger. And when somebody comes into your world like she did, and challenges you, what that really does is cause you to be a better version of yourself. And I think a lot of times when I get around people, I think when anybody gets around people like you, they think that what, you know, what, that you want a bunch of yes men or yes women or a yes wife around you. And that's the exact opposite, right?
0: No, I want to get it right. I don't care about being right. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's a big difference there. And so when, when to get it right means that I don't know it all, that I don't have all the answers and I can't do it by myself. Yeah. And I bit myself, you know, I shot myself in the foot in different periods of my life because I had a completely opposite mentality to that. Mm. And that'll only get you so far. And I crashed and burned hard as a result of that. Um, I, I feed, like I literally feedback is fuel for me. Like mm. I feed on it. Yeah. Because it allows me to see different parts about myself or situations or strategies or tactics or whatever from a perspective that allows me to see it holistically versus just through my own lens. Mm. So and good. so for me, I, I like, I feed off of that. I've got three different coaches right now. I've got a counselor. I've got a meditation coach. I've worked with Reiki energy healers. Mm-hmm. I've got coaches in the triathlon stuff. I do like, I literally am like, I want to surround people who are experts who are going to challenge me to become better. And I have to just trust and surrender that what's going to happen. And every time I do that, I get to move faster with less effort. Wow. And so to me, it's like, I, I feed off that stuff because it's not about being right for me. It's about getting it right, Jeez. which needs a more holistic perspective to almost anything we do.
1: Wow, this show's not gonna be long enough, man. Like, <laughs> this is so good, I love it. Um, if you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be?
0: <laughs> so it's hard for me to narrow this down to one thing, mm-hmm. truthfully, because sure. there's a handful of things that I that I really genuinely believe. But if I had to narrow it down to one thing, it is it is my internal fight what I mean by that is I have come to the realization and I came to this a long time ago that nothing worthwhile in life comes easy. Hmm. I expect a fight, I expect pain, I expect failure. And it's through those things that I learn and grow the most. And because I've been knocked down so aggressively in my life, which again, we'll unpack later in the discussion, you know, I learned early in life not to get stuck by what had happened to me, but get moved by what I could do with it.
1: Hmm. So
0: good. And so I would say it's my fight and my determination to, and, and the recognition that I've got a very healthy relationship with death. So every single day we've got one shot at this thing. Hmm. And so I wanna leave it all out on the field in everything I do. And that means I've gotta fight and I've gotta push. And I think that that's my biggest thing because I've been able to run through walls and the more I run through walls on things that are, are things that most people can't wrap their minds around doing the more it starts to free me to realize, okay, if I could do that now, what am I capable of? Wow. Right. And again, it's not about me. It's about the system and the process and the growth and the people around me, but it's my fight and my, my desire to be the best version of myself always that I think has had the greatest impact on me. And I think that's my superpower. Um, In how I show up in my world, I'm gonna say my superpower for my work is my ability to see people Hmm. sometimes more clearly than they see themselves. So I can help giant, I can turn giants into legends by helping them grab what they think is just out of their grasp.
1: Hmm. That's so good. So good. What was your greatest setback and what did you learn from it?
0: My greatest setback was my lack of awareness to the role that shame played in my life. And what I mean by that is shame is the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing. It masks itself as fear, guilt, worth, uh, scarcity, perfectionism. Like shame literally manifests differently in so many people's lives. And there's really two primary talk tracks. Brene Brown outlines the best. The first is you're not worthy and you're not good enough. I'd be lying if I said I never played there, but that was not the dominant force, which is why I had a hard time identifying shame in my life. Hmm. The second is when you shut that down and you show up in the arena and you're ready to go to battle, it's who do you think you are? Everything major I ever did in my life until I understood the role shame played in my life, I felt the need to apologize for. Wow. I literally, if you envision the throttle on a boat, I, I do this visually on camera. Like I literally would pull the throttle back right on my own self, on my own capabilities, on my own success, because I didn't ever want to highlight my success in a way that was going to make other people feel badly about themselves. Hmm. There's a whole lot to that. Yeah. But what did I learn from it? Um, you know, I learned that it's not the wrong strategy and tactics that keeps people typically stuck stymied in their efforts to fill a potential right? Working with high performers and seeing how this operates. I mean, when I was, when I started to unpack this, I was in a world where I was running with people making seven figures, eight figures, lots of success. And many of them were miserable. Hmm. So often it's not the strategy and tactics because those will only get you so far. It's typically the emotional triggers and behavioral patterns in our lives that keep us in that self-defeating place. Interesting. Shame, Shame was a primary one for me. And so what I learned from it is I will never escape shame. It's it, there is no final destination.
1: So Brian, on the shame piece, I'm interested in this. And the, if this is part of the story, then, you know, we can just push it off until we get a little further in. But you were talking about, you know, basically not letting your light shine. Is that something? Um, cause I think this happens a lot. Like we don't want to shine too loud. You, you actually said that you didn't want to like, um, you know, keep other people down or whatever. Is that something that came from like your childhood or limiting beliefs? Or is it something you built in your own mind? What was that?
0: So I think it's a combination of a lot of factors, frankly. Um, and so, uh, but I had to do the work to understand where the contributing factors were mm. and to also recognize when and how I would be triggered by shame uh, and and some of that, right? Where I also say one of my, my, greatest in, or my greatest successes, one of my superpowers for myself is my internal fight. It's also a desire to be the best version of myself. So when shame is present in that, for example, I'll use it in a marriage, right? I have a desire to be the best husband and father I possibly can be. Mm. So anytime that that, desire is challenged based on my actions in those two roles, it triggers defensiveness. Mm. Defensiveness is a shame trigger for me, right? So what'll happen is my wife will, you know, just she'll literally say something around like where and how I might make her or the family a priority. And it might be in passing. There might be some depth to it. Right. And what do I do? I, in my head, it's all of a sudden I get defensive and then I create a list of all the 12 things I've done in the last four days to demonstrate that they are a priority in my life right? Well, what does that do? That doesn't accomplish anything. Mm -hmm. That's trying to be right versus getting it right. Mm -hmm. So they can actually like counter against each other. And so in those scenarios now, because I understand that that's a shame trigger uh, and it exists in my marriage and it has for right a long time. Um, not that my wife shames me, but it, because it's a deep trigger, there's patterns that have been developed in our relationship on both sides that trigger each other's shame. And so in those moments, what I have to do is, is recognize that that's what's taking place And pause and take a deep breath. And then in those moments now, what I do, I'm going to say nine times out of 10, I'm not perfect, right? Is I'll pause and I'll say to my wife, I'm getting defensive. Whatever you said, which I know doesn't align with your intent, is triggering my shame. And so we can either continue in this conversation knowing that I'm being defensive and I'm going to do the best I can to, like, really make sure that I don't contribute to this or we can pause and revisit it later when I know that I can shut down that energy. Mm. And that way we can actually work collaboratively towards the outcome because often it's not, she's not attacking me. Mm. She's not telling me I'm not good enough or who I am is bad, but however my actions have made her feel right are valid because that's her perception. And so it might not be my fault that some of my actions have made her felt that way, but is it my responsibility? I believe it is. Wow. And so that's where I start to really be able to understand, like, again, shame has manifested in so many areas in my life. Um, The root of it, I think, is multiple contributing factors. And I don't think that it's simply my accident, my injury and those things, but I do think that contributed to it Mm. because I worked very hard to not be the center of attention. Mm -hmm. And I worked very hard, right? Because I was the one that got all the attention because I had this crazy traumatic accident. And at the same time, my brother was deeply turmoiled because he witnessed his brother and his best friend be ripped to shreds in front of him. Mm. And again, we haven't even shared my story yet. So we'll get back there when, when we do, but, but he had to unpack lots of trauma because he witnessed it and he remembers it. Right. But I got all the attention. I Mm. was the one that everybody was feeling sorry for. I was the one that sent all, you know, everybody Mm. sent all these stuffed animals and gifts and all these things. And my parents did a great job trying to help make sure that he was a part of it. But I think immediately my best friend, my brother, who was deeply turmoiled, he didn't get to escape it as quickly as I did. Mm. And so I, I, I believe that there is some root in my accident because I felt badly that I was getting all this attention when in reality, I didn't even want it, neither did he. Mm-hmm. And so there, I think that's a part of it, right? Wow. It's like, I felt like I needed to apologize. Like, why am I getting all these gifts? I you know, I, I had this traumatic thing happen to me mm-hmm. but he watched it all happen. I mean, my body was, was the one that took the brunt of it, but his insides took the brunt of it. Yeah.
1: And sometimes I think that emotional, not that you didn't have emotional trauma, but, you know, I mean, everybody went to work on you, obviously. And, um, you know, the going through the emotional side of it, oh, man, that's such a powerful My lesson.
0: emotional side, to be honest, though, didn't come full circle for 20 plus years. And we'll talk about that if we yeah. have time. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it, it, it just is what it is. Um, but you're right. I, we had to focus on what was needed, which was healing me physically. And so, because I was getting so much attention there, there was only so much that I could cope and focus on. My brother, on the other hand, he did go to therapy. He did unpack some of this stuff early. And I agree, the emotional side is way more painful, mm-hmm. way more damaging. And so that's a whole nother piece of my shame is I didn't get a chance to even understand some of the emotional pieces until well, well later in life.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that side of it, and and hopefully we can get into it. Maybe we have to do it part two, but I think that's probably where the majority of us are stuck wherever we're stuck. It's probably, you know, a lot of it doesn't have to do with physical and all that. It's the, it's the deep work. So yeah. Happy to unpack. I'm telling you,
0: dude, the stuff that keeps people stuck, it's emotional triggers and behavioral patterns Mm. and all the work that I've done with high performers. It always comes back to one of those two things and they're, they're connected. So I say one of those two things, but they're the same, Mm. right? Because your emotional triggers create your behavioral patterns and your behavioral patterns create your emotional triggers. So you need to understand these things, but like, that's what keeps people stuck. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. If there's a business owner who's operating in scarcity, even though they've demonstrated success, how do they lever and scale their business if they're operating from a position of scarcity? Mm-hmm. Well, if we don't understand the root of the scarcity, how it enters into their life, how it manifests and how it's actually had a positive or negative impact, how do you use it to your advantage moving forward?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't. So good. So good.
0: It's not strategy and tactics because there's crazy smart people who can deploy strategy and tactics. Mm-hmm. Typically, people are in their own way.
1: So good. Um, what is the piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most? I want to knock this question out so we can just let you go and get into it.
0: There's a whole lot of advice I drop, but, but, but one of the, one of the big ones, uh, is I believe we all must choose our pain or our suffering will choose us. Okay. And that'll make sense in, in a minute.
1: All right, let's go. Where do you want to go? <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you drive. We,
0: we've talked a lot about uh, my story. So why don't we start there? Because yep. I think good. that'll unpack some of this stuff and then we can figure out where to take it from there. Yeah. Um, I actually want everybody to just indulge me for a second, unless you're driving and please close your eyes and I'll tell you when to reopen them. I want you to imagine going to a store and having a successful shopping trip, heading back out to your car, thinking you're going on with your day. And that would have been a completely non-eventful scenario otherwise. As you're approaching your car, you turn your head and you see a truck barreling 40 miles an hour right at you with no time to react. Go ahead and open your eyes. That's where this portion of my story begins. My mom, my brother, and I went to our local Walmart to get a one-inch paintbrush. And in the little bit of time that you've known me, you can probably know I've always had a high degree of energy, right? So, mm-hmm. like, I was the first one of the car, obviously. I wanted to get home and put that paintbrush to use. But this was back in the days before there uh, was key fobs. So I had to wait for my mom and brother to catch up, who were only about four feet behind me, so she could put the key in the door, turn it unlock it, and we could go on with our way. And as I'm standing there waiting, there's a truck that pulls up in front of the store. Driver and middle passenger get out. Passenger all the way to the right feels the truck moving backwards. So he did what any one of us would do, Mike, and he scooted over to put his foot on the brake. But instead he hit the gas. Combination of shock and force threw him up onto the steering wheel, up onto the dashboard, and before you know it, he's catapulting 40 miles an hour across the parking lot right at us with no time to react. Mm. Now we're in an end spot. Unfortunately, it goes up and over the median, though, goes up and over the tree in the median, which slowed him down a little bit. Hit our car, knocked me over, ran over me diagonally, tore my spleen, left a tire track scar on my stomach and continued on to completely sever my left arm from my body. So my mom and brother watched this whole thing happen. I'm now laying on the parking lot on 115 degree day in Phoenix, Arizona, and my mom and brother can look up and see my arm 10 feet away. Fortunately for me, my guardian angel also saw what had happened. She was walking out of the store right when this happened. She was a nurse and saw the literal life and limb scenario in front of her. And she rushed immediately into action. She came over and stopped the bleeding at the main wound and saved my life. She also instructed some innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler in the convenience center, fill it with ice and get my arm on ice in minutes. Had she not done one or both of those things, I either wouldn't be here with you today or I'd be here with you today with a detached arm and a cleaned up stump. It's just, that's just the facts. And so I know that our listeners were probably not expecting it to go there today, right? I have a very, very unique story. I know this, but what I've also realized in all my time of doing this is that we all have unique stories. Mm. And what's important is that we pause and become aware of the lessons we can extract from our stories and then become intentional with how do we apply them in our lives. So there's two primary lessons that I've used that have guided my life. I embedded them a little bit in our prior conversation, But the first is I learned not to get stuck by what has happened to me, but instead get moved by what I can do with it. And that happened because perspective points us at what's important. So as I'm laying in the hospital bed feeling sorry for myself saying, why me? And we have families that are coming up to us in the ICU apologizing, saying, we're so sorry for what happened to you, what can we do to help? And then we come to find out that their kids laying in the ICU bed next to me, not knowing if they're gonna live another 30 days because of the terminal illness they have, perspective hit me right in the face other than the initial threat to my life, and at that moment, not knowing whether or not my arm would ever be reattached or if I'd have functional use of it like I do today, I knew I was gonna have my life. Mm. And they didn't know if they'd ever have that. The second lesson, I didn't realize right away. You see, at seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, although I was the one that was having the surgeries performed on them, I was the one that had to put in the work three days a week in physical and occupational therapy to regain control of my hand. Um, I was also being guided through the process. My parents, however, were not in a fog at all. They were intimately aware of the unceasing medical treatments and years of therapy. And the idea of seeing their son grow up without the use of his left arm was a source of great potential suffering for them. So they willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary, what was tough, to ultimately embrace the pains they needed to embrace to ultimately strengthen and heal me. And so whether it was intentional or not, what they did was they ingrained in me a philosophy and a way of living which was to embrace pain to avoid suffering. And I believe when this is done right, that's also when we have the opportunity to gain freedom. And so it's this same concept that I used to not only overcome this unique injury, but how my business partners and I scaled our last business to over 15 million within the span of a decade. And how now I flipped that on its head as a human behavior and performance coach to help individuals and organizations just like you, just like the people listening, become more aware, more intentional, and who they already are, their most authentic selves. You see, I believe that's when the door starts to crack to perspective, motivation, and direction. And that's when we have the opportunity to have joy, freedom, and fulfillment enter into our lives. And that's why I've committed the next 25 years of my life to trying to impact a billion people on this planet. Because I believe if we can reduce the level of suffering on this planet, give people the ability to experience joy, freedom, and fulfillment, and give them permission and the push to not only honor and be who they are, but recognize the world at that point will celebrate them for who they are, that the binds around human connection will only be strengthened and we can leave this world a lot more beautiful place for our kids and our grandkids and the generations to come after that. So that's a little bit about me, brother.
1: (laughs) That's a little bit about me. I'm just so blown away at, at, you know, just that story and and we're going to go layers and layers deep. But before we do that, um, I'm sure all of my listeners, and we're going to talk later about where they can find you because the energy and the love and the drive that you bring to the world, everybody needs to see that. But it, I'm sure every one of my listeners is thinking right now, like, how do I work with this guy? So who is your ideal client? I just want to touch on that real quick before we continue the story, because uh, who's your ideal client?
0: Yeah. So I'm going to answer that question in two ways, if, if, if you'll bear with me. Mm-hmm. Um, my ideal client is anybody who desires to have a growth mindset who doesn't, who at the moment lacks clarity on who they are. Okay. I help people discover who they are and allow the what's in their life to be a manifestation of the who. That's the broad audience, and that's what a lot of our solutions and almost everything I do in this world aligns with. My one-to-one clients, because there's a difference, right? There's scale, and we've got courses and group coaching and lots of different places in our community for people to engage. Okay. The highest level of investments, the one-to-one coaching, and what I describe I do there is I I take giants and turn them into legends by helping them grab what they think is just out of their grasp. Hmm. So good. Um, and again, that starts with helping them calibrate with who they are. That's awesome.
1: So let's go let's go back to this um, and I want to make sure that I let you go where where you want to go. but um, you know you obviously had a su- successful career in business and, and all of that kind of stuff. So like what do you want to talk about there and how did you transition out of that? And I w- really love to understand the journey between understanding, uh, like moving into this calling. Cause I think you, I think I heard you say that you want to impact a billion people or something or. or... Yeah.
0: Yeah. With a B you heard that correctly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So tell me about like, what's this journey look like? Cause obviously you had a successful business. Um, yeah. If you want to go into that, we can, if you want to talk about getting out of it, if what, like, where do you want to go?
0: Let's, uh, you know, I know one of the things that you and I, uh, really connected on is, is that transition piece. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'll give a little bit of context there and then I'll talk about what happened because again, I'm a big believer that we need to be surrounded by people that, challenge us to be our best mm-hmm. and who don't tell us what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Yep. And that's really, that's the beginning of this, this transition in two ways, actually. Um, so I, a lot of people are like, how'd you get into coaching and speaking? Right? Well, here's the thing. I've been on stages since I was seven years old. Cause I've got a super unique story. I've always been loud and I've never been afraid in front of a crowd. So th- that's just, I mean, I've been doing that basically my entire life, at least the life that I remember. Um, but I wasn't always doing it professionally, right? I always did it for nonprofits and and those types of things. And and how I really shifted into that world was uh, just about seven years ago. So my son's seven and uh, six months of his life went by like that. Hmm. And I always said externally that everything I did was for the benefit of my family. And other than the first week that I took off to really calibrate with him, I missed the first six months of my son's life. And I fortunately had this like aha moment where I was like, oh, geez, like, how can everything be for my family if I'm not even there? Mm -hmm. If I'm not present, if I'm not active, I'm not giving the love and appreciation and the leadership. It's not just about money and freedom, Mm -hmm. right? That's a big piece of it for me, but it's not about money for money's sake. It's about the freedom that money can give me and the impact that I can use with that money. So here's like what happened is I it was the first time in my life that I felt like I wasn't. Smart enough, didn't have the right wisdom, nor did I have the mentors or people in my life that could help me figure it out. And so I sought out to hire my first coach. And a month into working with him, he goes, Boger, you got to be doing this." And I was like, "Doing what?" He goes, "Coaching and speaking." And I was like, "What? What are you talking about?" He goes, "He's like, dude, you literally naturally build people and build businesses. Like that's what you do. You build and empower people around you. Like that's how you operate. That's how you entered in the world. Like why are you not doing this?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm paying you a lot of money to tell me how great I am, but tell me figure out these other things. Like stop, right? I literally dismissed it completely." He told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And he trickled it for nine months. And then the world sent this sign over the course of 30 days that still blows me away, but it basically gave me the push to be like, okay, I got it, I'm listening and I need to jump in. So I did that and I ran I ran this alongside my other business for about five years. And the more I coached, the more I speak, the more I wanted to do it. Um, and But I had to cap everything because I was so deeply invested in my other business, time, energy, money, right? everything, we, we built it. And we scaled it and it was it was awesome and it was serving our family and it served its purpose. And then July of 2019 comes and my wife and I go away for a weekend. And it was one of those weekends that, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, like, man, we were like one. I mean, we were so connected, like at the soul. Uh, and in our 15 years, that's still a weekend that stands out to me because we've had many of those moments, mm-hmm. but this was like a whole weekend. And on every level, every vibration, every frequency, we were there. And, and that's, I'll never forget it. We're driving back to pick up our kids and she leans over in the car and, and, and says, how would you feel if you didn't have to go to the office on Monday morning? <laughs> and I get chills every time I say that because it, it puts me right back in that car next to her. And I was overwhelmed with fear and I was like, babe, that's a pretty loaded question. Why don't you tell me more right before I answer you? And I had some other health stuff that impacted me a few years back and, and gained and learned a lot, and I'm good now, so, so no, no worries there. But what she ultimately said is she said, I think this latest health thing put fear into your world in a way that I've never seen you operate. Hmm. And She said, I think you've convinced yourself that we need the money, we need the status, we need the financial security, right? we need what's been built in this other business. And she said, I'm here to tell you that we don't. She said, I don't care if we live in a, hundred, in a cardboard box on the corner, what we need most is 100% you. And she said, I think you're dying a little bit inside every day you sit in that business and you refuse to see it. So she got my attention, obviously, at that point. So I'm listening. And I was like, okay, so go on. And she goes, I also know that the more time you spend in speaking and coaching, the more time you spend in the community, the more time you spend focusing on other people and like helping them do the things that like, you know, they're capable of doing is the stuff that brings you to life. And she said, I know that you're not even scratching the surface of your potential nor do I think you're having near the impact on the world that you want and you're capable of. So she said, we took a big bet on you once and what I'm p- positioning is if you're open to it, I say we double down on that bet, you leave, our, leave this other business and let's go see what you're capable of. Flooded by fear,
1: hmm.
0: flooded by fear. And so I spent the next three months really unpacking that, right? Shame was a big piece I had to work through, fear was a big piece I had to work through, scarcity was a big piece I had to work through and I really needed to calibrate like impact but three months later, September of 2019, I said to my CEO and my COO and my business partners that at the end of that fiscal year, I was gonna execute my buy, sell, leave and go do this, right? Which everybody looked at me like I was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, what I really had to do was I had to look at regret minimization theory. Um, and Actually, before I say that, I, I, I wanna I want really pause for one second. It is not lost on me the courage it took my wife to approach me with that conversation. Mm. I, I know for a fact there are a large number of spouses that would not do that because it would mean uprooting their lifestyle, mm-hmm. their comfort, right? What their what what they have on their plate. And my wife literally was like, "I don't care if we live in a cardboard box," mm-hmm. which she knew wasn't going to happen. But because she knew I won't ever allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's not lost on me the courage it took for her, and I'm I'm forever indebted to her for that as well. Yeah. But I had to apply regret minimization theory to my life, right? Jeff Bezos popularized this. And it's like, when you talk to people at the end of their life, the things they regret most are not the things they did not try; It's the things they never took the chance to try. But mm-hmm. so I had to look at what was right in front of me and I had to recognize and, and realize that my kids are watching everything I do. And do I want my kids to see me hit the easy button because I'm making a ton of money and have success externally based on how the world has defined it. Mm-hmm. And I have a growth engine that's constantly going double digit growth year over year and, and no end in sight. To hit the easy button there or to take a chance to see what I could really do on the world. So this is a a perfect example. I had to embrace the pain of walking away from a sure thing to avoid the suffering of not ever knowing the impact on the world that I could have.
1: So good. So good. So what what did that, just real quickly, that transition, because I think a lot of people you know, have these glimpses, and I think even like you're saying that you know it's not lost on you the courage that it took your wife and I have similar. I don't want to go into my story, but I think this is a lot where we connect You connected. shared
0: that with me, and it's it's powerful. Yeah, yeah. And
1: so I love that you stop there and acknowledge that. But I think I would almost guarantee that everybody has these periods of time, and I don't think this is the last time in my life that I'm going to be at that place, and probably not the last time in your life you're going to be at that place. So what? Do you think most people just shrink back from that? Because and you said there's the potential that they may have to change their lifestyle, but the real or whatever it is that they think they're giving up. But the reality is, and I've learned this, like we can have both, usually stepping into that next level of our life and passion and calling and what we really need to do opens. In fact, it's probably holding us back from from what we really need to do to get to that next level. But when people are dealing with that fear. And I, I think there's probably two parts of this, you know, some of it's the, the natural and the things and the possessions and, but the other side of it is the fear of just moving through that. How did you navigate that? Or how do you advise people to navigate that?
0: Yeah. So I could take this in a whole lot of ways, but I'm going to take it uh, very specifically on the fear front, because that's the word you used a couple of times. And I think that, that fear is what most people are stuck by. Mm. So what I say to my, my kids is that all the greatest things in life are on the other side of fear. Literally all the greatest things in life are on the other side of fear, fun, freedom, and fulfillment. Sometimes failure is on the other side of fear, but failure, if we view it correctly, is actually fuel to our success. So really all the greatest things in life are on the other side of fear. And so what we have to understand is fear gives us feedback and fear hones our focus. Fear is also often fabricated. So I'll give you an example. And I applied this with my son because this is essentially what I did in my transition. But this is a way that I think people can help understand fear and how it gives us feedback if we're listening and how it hones our focus should we choose to lean into it. So when we when we get through fear, we do get to experience all those greatest things in life. But that's the problem is that most people don't understand how to actually push through those few moments of discomfort mm. to realize that. So my son, he's on the autism spectrum. He, I mean, anxiety and fear and things like that, that's just like his reality. Like we're constantly looking at ways to reduce his anxiety and his fear and allowing him to lean into those moments. Well, I like to mountain bike a lot and he likes to do the things that I like to do. Physical activity for him keeps him level, but like biking is something that just came naturally to him. I mean, he asked me to take his training wheels off at three and he rode his bike. He asked me to do it and he rode his bike. He just did it. He set his mind to it and he did it, right? Physically, he's got some some really strong abilities to see something and put it into application. So he was about five and he says, dad, I want to start mountain biking with you. I was like, buddy, you're not ready. And I said, I don't mean that meanly, but like we just we just haven't practiced. And I said, if you want to really mountain bike with me, we have to earn it, which means we have to also earn the right equipment. I'm not just going to go buy you a mountain bike. You got to show me that you want this before I put you in a scenario where you can do it. Mm. So we spent a year focusing on the foundations around bike control, pedal position, brake modulation, weight distribution, how do we corner effectively? And we started even practicing on some some just dirt trails so that he could understand what an insecure foundation could feel like underneath his tires. Because at that point, he'd only ridden on sidewalks and asphalt. And so we we literally spent a year and I said, if you get all these things down and we layered them in one at a time and then we foundationally built on top of them. And then he earned his mountain bike. He gets his mountain bike. We had to spend a little bit more time. We spent about a month because it was the first time that he had gears and it was the first time that he had two brakes instead of the open wheel brake and the one one gear and one handle. Now he had two. He needed to really understand the difference. Once he did that, we go out and we start mountain biking. Now, when I mountain bike with my son, we've got a couple of basic rules. And these are rules that I had to set for him based on how I know fear and anxiety trips him, which is a couple things. The only time we walk our bike is if we can't physically get up the hill, if our bike is broken to the point that we cannot physically ride it, or our bodies are broken in a way that we can't ride it out. Right, like that's just the reality. Every other scenario, riding is the only option. Hmm. And I had to give him that criteria, because it's like, if we're not gonna ride out here, then there's no point in being out here. Okay, so he gets it and he starts climbing the hills. And I had to teach him the, bra- uh, the gears and all that stuff to let the bike do the work, and we did that. But inevitably what happens, nothing, nothing scares him about riding on any flat trails, even little ups and downs, or climbing hills. But we get to the top of the hill, and guess what happens? Fear takes over. Mm. So in those moments, what do we do? We pause. And I sit there next to my son, and we literally look at the hill that's in front of us because, again, he has to ride his bike down the hill. That's one of the rules. If we climb the hill, you ride down the hill. We don't walk down the hill. You can walk up it if you need to, You can't walk down it. So we look down the hill. We chart the line ahead. We literally chart the line. Like, where are we going to go? How are you going to go around this hill? We start to look at, so we we first chart the line. The second is we start to anticipate obstacles. Are there rocks in the way? Is there loose dirt? And then we reconfirm, is the line we chose correct? Then we look at, okay, failure is inevitable. We're going to fail at some point. Mm -hmm. So if we fail, where do we need to fail? If there's a cliff on the left side, we need to fail to the right. So let's pay attention to the fact that failure is expected. You may fall, but let's make sure if you fail, you're failing in the right way. So it's not a catastrophic failure. It's only a small one. Mm. And then at some point we have to move from fear to faith, let go of the brakes and just let it roll. And so when we think about this in life, it's no different. If we set the foundation, we do the work that's necessary. We pay attention to what is happening with fear. Fear is giving us feedback. Fear is giving us feedback that we aren't ready for it, or maybe we are, and we just need to hone our focus on where do we go with it. So if we chart the line ahead, we anticipate obstacles, we expect failure as a part of the path, and we anticipate where and how we're going to fail, and then at some point we move ourselves from fear to faith and just let go of the brakes and let it roll, that happens. But the other thing we have to be careful of is in in mountain biking, if you cramp down on the front brake too hard because you panic mid-hill, guess what? You flip over your bike. Mm. So it's not about just letting go of the brakes, but how do we properly modulate the brakes so that we can control and refine the whole way down? Yeah. That's life. Yeah. And the only thing that faith and fear have in common, other than they start with the letter F, do you know what they, what it is? Hmm. An undetermined future. Hmm. So if I have the choice to live in fear or live in faith, I'm going to choose faith every time, but we can't move to faith until we've set the foundation and the structure to know where we're going to move through fear. Fear gives us feedback and it hones our focus if we're listening and if we do that, we get the details we need to not just shut down fear, to feel it and do it anyway. Yeah.
1: It's so powerful. I get asked all the time and I'd love your, you know, just your thoughts on this, but you know, people ask me all the time, Mike, what should I invest in? Cause you know, we're about investing for freedom and all that. And I'm like, well, how much money do you have? And you know, so many times people, uh, want to make changes in their life. And we talk about like when your wife had that revelation and pushed you on that, um, and I want to circle back to this so this doesn't have to be a, a, a long comment on my part, but so many times people are like, what do I invest in? And if it's a thousand dollars or five thousand, you know, if you're at this stage, I'm always like, invest in yourself. And the thing that I'm really hearing <laughs> yes, you say always. is like, you know, even with your son, that whole, that whole experience, there, moving from fear to faith and everything that you're talking about, it's just becoming a different version of you.
0: That's it.
1: And so I, I would love, um, you know, un- unpack that a little bit. And because I don't, very few people, I think, just get off the couch and change everything about them without having some kind of mentor around them, some kind of thing propelling them as your son did. That was a whole process. And I love the way you think through that. It just shows a lot into how you do things. And so, um, what's, what separates the people that go from those that don't? Is it purely just investing in themselves and and taking that leap? What is it?
0: So there's a, there's a lot to this answer. I don't think it's a simple one. Okay. I, I just really don't because yeah. there's so, so much context to truly answer that. But I, I think the ones that, um, that allow themselves to be stuck by fear typically don't have a clear direction on who they are and what they want to accomplish or the impact they want to have or the things they want to do to make them feel freedom and joy and fulfillment. Okay, So, so what I mean by that, like let me, let me give you an example. I have a client that I'm working with right now and he's 38 years old and he moved 26 times before the time he was 18, 26 times before the time he was 18, lived with his mom, his father, his aunt, and his grandma. Never was in the same school twice. Never had the same set of friends twice. He never learned how to give or receive love. Fast forward to today. Okay. He has a beautiful wife, two beautiful daughters, And for him, he had to go through a really clear understanding of not only acknowledging the suffering in his life that he wished to avoid, but getting really clear on what he wanted. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it's two sides to the same coin there. So for him, the idea of suffering is not having his wife and his daughters in his life. But he hasn't learned how to give or receive love. Mm -hmm. So he often escapes scenarios when he actually needs to be there active and present. He'll be a nomad and go do his own thing. He doesn't want to be a burden on his family. He'll make himself small. He doesn't have vulnerability to be able to open up to his wife and truly have those conversations to repair and restore mm-hmm. and allow them both to feel what's going on in their relationships. So they can heal their relationship. Mm. He doesn't know how to do that because he was never taught how to give or receive love. Yeah. So when he, moves it to the other side of the same coin, and he starts to wonder, what, what do I really want in life? He has this image that he's created of him, his wife and his kid, sorry, his wife and him sitting on their ranch in Texas with the wind blowing through the brush in the ranch, looking over the field, and the only thing breaking the silence is the laughter of his daughters and his grandkids. When he can get that vivid of an image, and he can burn that into his soul, the purpose becomes big enough to overtake the pain that's required for him, change. Hmm. So, okay. the gaps that you need to close between where you are today and where you need to go or want to be is going to be painful. Yeah. I wish I could paint a different picture, but that's just the no. truth. Yeah, totally. That's why I say we almost choose our pain or our suffering will choose us. Mm-hmm. The pain of forcing himself to go into therapy, to understand vulnerability, authenticity, to be able to force himself to have discussions with his wife in a way that he never has, to show up and be active, present, engaged with his daughters in a way that he's never been shown. He's never been modeled, and he has to learn how to do it. Those pains are worth it because the suffering is way worse. The beautiful part is it's not just the suffering he's choosing to avoid. He also understands what freedom and joy look like in that picture of him sitting there 80 years old. So when he can calibrate on both, then it helps him understand, okay, this is now when I need to get up off the couch. This is when I need to invest in myself, both in time, energy, resources, health, relationship. He needs to do all those things. Yeah. So I think most people, yes, it's effective to have a guide. But the piece I want to help uh, help others understand is there's nobody in this life that's going to save you. Mm-hmm. Stop looking for a hero. Stop looking for a savior. Stop <laughs> looking for the next seven-step system. Yeah. Instead, invest in yourself to find the right guide. Your guide could be your spouse. It was mm-hmm. for me, yeah. right? Your guide could be a parent, it could be a kid, it could be a mentor, it could be a co-worker, it could be your best friend. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be a coach. Yeah. Not everybody's ready for a coach. In fact, most people are not ready yeah. for a coach. Yeah. So this isn't a pitch to say that, but instead find a guide so that you can elevate and empower yourself to be your own hero, yeah. your own savior, yeah. to allow yourself to get your own oomph and motivation because when the purpose is big enough, it overtakes the pains necessary Mm-hmm. that are required for you to change to become the person that you're capable of being. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I was on an interview the other day. It was a in a private group that I'm in, and I made the comment about a mentor that's probably been the mentor that's changed my life the most, and I've never paid him a penny. We've done a lot of business together and everything yeah. else, but I've never paid him a penny, but he's probably changed my life more than anyone else. And somebody asked me the question, how did you convince him to be your mentor? And I said, I didn't. We just started building a relationship, and he ended up that's becoming I mean. my mentor. And so, Okay, so 2019, and by the way, if you're not in love with Brian and if you're not on fire, then we can't help you. Um, so 2019 was not that long ago. Um, yeah. your, your wife like drops this on you. you. Your whole life's uprooted. How's it going?
0: Dude, <laughs> oh, when I say I'm forever indebted to her for that moment, it's not an understatement. I am, uh, I'm happier than I've ever been. I'm more fulfilled than I've ever been. I'm more free than I've ever been. And the beautiful part about it is it's only further ignited my fire to help people be authentically who they are because all of the things I'm experiencing are because for the first time in my life, I feel 100% me. Hmm. And so all of the ways that I'm able to move through these things, the conversations with you, with Kyle, with others, with right building these things to truly have impact in life, I know what it looks like to be in the darkest, most despairing areas in life. I've been there, I've been miserable, right? I know what that looks like. And now to be on this other side, nobody deserves to feel how I've felt in moments in my life, but everybody deserves to feel how I feel right now. (laughs) And so the reality of it is, is, man, it's going great. Had you asked me when I left, like if this is what my trajectory would look like, if it would look like, right, I've got businesses now with people across the globe that I've actually never even met. But this virtual world has provided opportunities to connect and network and align with people that are operating at my frequency, my vibration, right? So that we can actually go have collective impact on the world together. Like, had you asked me if any of this would happen, I would have thought you were crazy. Hmm. But I trusted and surrendered to the process and I embraced the pains necessary to create the change. And I'm not only avoiding suffering, I, man, I'm, I'm experiencing great joy as a result of this. Wow. So good.
1: Well, I want to respect your time and our audience's time and they probably want us to keep going for hours, but any, anything else that you just have to say or feel led to share?
0: I'll give one more piece. And then you said earlier, we might have to do a a second uh, episode version too. I'd love to do that with you by the way, because we barely scratched the surface. Yes, we did. Uh, And I, I love the way you even asked questions. So this is fun. Um, So many people, right? Like everybody in life is born as the most bright, burning, authentic light that they'll likely ever be. Like, you have kids, you know what this is like. You see toddlers, you see kids, like, they come out there raw, man. Yeah. You know what they they look at. Like, they're just there. and, And then what happens? Parents, teachers, coaches, employers, we start layering all these things on top of them. You should do this, you shouldn't do that, you should be this, you shouldn't be that. You should chase this career. You shouldn't chase that one. You should go to this school. You shouldn't go to this one. You should have a college degree. You shouldn't have a college. I mean, literally the, the narratives are all there. And then what starts to happen is you just get all these layers putting on top of you. And what that really does is it conditions people to chase the what. What house, what car, what amount of money, what amount of success, what job, what, what. And they lose the who in the process. Hmm. Jeez. When you recalibrate to the who, which we're all capable of. Then the what becomes a manifestation of the who. It's a whole complete version of who you are. And anything that you do from that point forward is a demonstration of who you are to the world. So good. (laughs) We're all capable of that. And so that's what I would really challenge people to do is if you have any hesitation on who you are today, or you feel like you're not living 100% to who you are, it's possible. It's within reach. And you can grab it, but understand that it starts with the who and the who's in your life that are going to make the what's that much more meaningful.
1: That's so good. And I think episode number three, (laughs) 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 we need to dive into when I'm hearing you say that I'm totally resonating with everything you said, but Kara and I, my wife and I have done a lot of work and I've specifically watched her do a lot of work. And she has amazing parents an amazing family an amazing upbringing. But what I just heard you say, um, we also need to be super cognizant. Er, way early in this episode, you were talking about the light. And I just kept, I keep hearing that song. And I know this is crazy, but this little light of mine, I'm going to let it yeah. shine. Like, I haven't heard that song for years. And I just keep hearing that. And when when we're talking about children, so this is what I'm saying with episode three, there's a whole parenting episode in here too. We have to be really careful when you're talking about should do, shouldn't do all of that stuff too, that we're just super just cognizant yeah, yeah, yeah. of, you know, yeah, how. In fact, we I'm sh- on
0: a mission to remove should from our language, because should's a shame-based word. It automatically implies that whatever you're doing isn't good enough. Mm, so good. And so what, what we do in our house, we don't use the word should. Sometimes do we slip? Yes, we're not perfect. But we often try to use could or would instead. Mm-hmm. Right? What could you do differently next time? What would you have done differently if you knew this ahead of time? Right? Like just change the narrative. And for us, it's about helping our kids honor what makes their hearts happy because that is immediate feedback on who they are and how they want to move through the world. <laughs> and so we have to listen to that. And when we listen to that, we're always rewarded because we get to see how that moves through them. But that, that that started with removing the word should in the way that we operate on things and allowing them to focus on the process versus the outcome because we don't care We don't care if they get an A on on their test. Like, does that help? Yeah, great. But what I care about most is that they're trying their hardest. They're giving their greatest amount of effort and that they're putting things in people in their lives that make their hearts happy.
1: Hmm. So
0: too many of us deny making our heart happy, which is why we end up waking up one day miserable. Again, I was there.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I, I just love it, man. Um, All so good. Where, so we've been at it for about 50 minutes. Um, Where, where can people find you? And I'm definitely going to take you up on, you know, session two, because this
0: was, amazing. Dude, let's do it. This is fun. I, I love, I love talking with you last time. I mean, Anna, I, I felt like when we connected last time, there was just, a, there was a soul connection on a whole bunch of different levels. So when you were like, Hey, do you want to record? I was like, hell yeah, let's go, bro. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's just super fun. And again, you create a platform to put good in the world. I have to jump into that. Um, cause that's, that's where collective impact comes to play. Um, you can find me at brianbogert.com. That's my main website. Uh, it's got a lot of my social handles coming in there. It's got uh, the things that we do around Bogert's Bullets. We've got a whole marriage hacks series. We've got a vlog. All that stuff with the YouTube channel is embedded into the website. As long as the social handles, which are at Bogert Brian on pretty much all of them. Um, there's also a lot of the articles that we create and have written in Forbes and other periodicals are there absolutely free. Um, you know, the reality of it is to impact a billion people, I'm, I'm very aware that 99.999999999% will never pay us a dollar, and I'm completely okay with that Mm -hmm. because I also understand that if we do this right, this isn't just about building a business. This is creating a movement to allow people to honor and turn into who they are and allowing us to, as a world, celebrate people for who they are versus celebrating them for what they're not. And so when we can really get them to to align with that, that's going to be good. So through that lens, I also have a free resource for the listeners. Go to nolimitsprelude.com. It is a very succinct bite-sized version of a lot of our coaching philosophies to ask yourself those questions, to guide yourself on the initial steps in your intrinsic journey. So whether you have no idea who you are, you're well on that path, or you're somewhere in between, like this will be a valuable resource for you. And for many of you, it's going to be all you'll need to get yourself recalibrated there. Great. If you need anything beyond that, whether it's me or other people in the similar space that can help you do it, all I would do is encourage you to invest in yourself Invest in freedom, you're gonna be able to have that in your life.
1: You're amazing, man. I appreciate you so much and look forward to the next time. Thanks for being here.
0: Yeah, likewise,
1: brother. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.